strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, this is it. Welcome. Hi, Varun. Nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you. Today's guest is, he has worked at the largest Fortune 50 organizations as as well as some small regional nonprofits. So you have a nice range guest. You are a recent winner of the AIGA Louisville Visionary Award. You've been named one of 20 people to know in advertising by Business First. You're the CEO of VIA Studios, Jason Clark. Welcome to the show. That sounds fancier than it really is, but (laughs) that was good. Thank you. Good to talk to you all. Former musician, as we um, just heard, which I can't wait to talk to you about a little bit here. So we're going to keep things conversational. Um, How are you doing today? How's the weather down there? And I'm great. It's, um, the woods. it's been a, a it's been pretty sunny for the past week, but I think we have rain coming in tonight. So that's good. All right. So let's dive right in. Are you ready? So my first question, you know, as an agency owner, we're going to spend the first half of our conversation talking about learning from you, tidbits and tricks. You know, our audience is other fellow agency owners. So we're looking for some things that you know better than anybody else or some advice or things that you've picked up on the way. Then sure. we'll spend the second half of the podcast talking about you and hearing i can't wait i have like a laundry list of questions <laughs> we're gonna have fun yes <laughs> it'll absolutely. be good so let's start off um you know with with uh, a good a good question to start off with as an agency owner what's the number one most fun thing for you the number one most fun thing yeah um i think there's there's a couple things the first one is definitely the relationships that you build Um, you know, at this point I've been an agency owner for almost 20 years and you just meet the best people in the community that really have passion about what they do and working in an agency, you get to help in all of those things that excite other people and you can really help them with your subject matter expertise. So, and, and again, you build relationships along the way. Um, you know, I, I never thought that I would have the network of friends and um, people that I respect and, and, you know, just be a part of that. I think that's, that's a big piece of it. Um, And then internally, it's really like watching people, watching staff develop um, as they grow into their careers. That's just amazing. There's some people who've been here for five plus years and are just just top talent at this point. And that's super exciting to watch them develop as in their own careers. I, I would agree. I think the creativity that comes out of all of that stuff too is so fun. I feel like, right. it's, you know, as an agency owner, you have like a little, it's like a little family. It's so sentimental, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like this, you know, it's like the same, the struggle is real for a lot of us and, you know, and yeah, you really learn to care about the people that that stick around, and you know it's it's uh, the family metaphor works, but it it's you know just being able to, to support someone's development as a professional, and you know that affects all aspects of their life. So it really 
means a lot and you know hopefully it means a lot to them as well do you feel like as an agency owner and as somebody who's kind of mentoring and building up you know these relationships do you feel like you bring something a little bit different than someone who may have gotten I'm going to say a more traditional career path, you know, and I can say that because I've done both sides, all sides of that. Right. You know, like an aging person is different than someone who like lives in corporate or lives in this other, you know, industry or something. Would you say, I'd ask like actually both of you, you know, Varun, I know you've spent a lot of time in this space too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, as per what Jason said, right. I mean, working with a team and helping them and seeing them grow is so uh, intimate to us as well. Um, you know, we have, so it, it, over last 20 years, we've been in business. We have grown to almost like 400 people, but now um, for first 15 years, like we were, we were working so independently and now we have realized so much value in having the core learning and teaching and helping them grow as human beings, as well as creatives, designers, developers is so important. And that is the reason why, you know, they want to stay, they, they stick with you. It's not because of, you know, just financial and economic purposes, it's more than that. So when you attach yourself with them, I think, uh, and have them realize the, the how they are making positive contributions to the world. I think that goes a long way. So to me, I think that 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 excites me more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, you said something in our prep call. And um, for those of you watching the YouTube, I keep looking at my notes. So just to be very candid about it, there's all kinds of notes. <laughs> um, you said something that I think is relevant that ties back to this, that you said it's, you know, the idea of doing good work and seeing the impact. I think there's something so, you know, for me, it's so attractive about why you stay in the agency world and why building and creating. And, you know, that's why there's something that the, there's a personality that's drawn to that. Would you say that's probably inaccurate? You know, what's your experience there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there are, um, you know, some people think that they want to work in this industry and with the cultures that we have. And it's, you know, it can be difficult if you're not built for it. Um, and I've, I've seen this, you know, the kind of the corporate, the traditional corporate way to move up in your career is, you know, stay at one place for, you know, a couple decades and, and climb that ladder. Um, you know, maybe it's an old school way to think, um, but some people excel there and, you know, I failed miserably. I can't do that. Um, you know, it's, it's a, this is a little bit more staccato uh, type of work. You know, we keep, we've got a small team. We work on 10 to 20 big projects at a time. And for some people they're built that way. It's like, okay, I'm bored with this. It's tomorrow. I'm going to work on this. And it's completely, uh, you know, it's a different client. It's a different goal. Um, some people can't do that and aren't built for that. Um, and some people just latch on immediately and, and just, they love it. Um, so, and that's, we try to give our team the autonomy to during their week to switch it up if they need to. When you're hiring, and this is, I'm taking a left turn here, like when you're hiring for people in agencies, I feel like, cause I've worked in corporate, I've worked in startups, I've worked at a multiple agencies and, you know, 
there's something different that you hire for, I think, from a personality wise outside of management and the usual like management style, cultural fit and all that fun stuff. Right. You know, what are you looking for in terms of like, you know, what are a couple of key things that you're looking for when you're hiring some of these people that you're, that, you know, right. Yeah. Sticky, you know, that, that sticky quality, like, yeah, it's you have um, like a good interview question, you know, what's a good nugget there. Oh goodness. R- really? You know, it's my goal. So we, we have a really strong leadership team and I trust them. You know, if they tell me they want to hire somebody, I'm not going to, um, uh, dispute that very much, but, but I like to, the, the soft skill questions are more important to me now to try to understand if someone would be, um, successful in an agency role. So it is, you know, temper, um, patience, good qualities. Yeah. I mean, I, I had someone quit on me once and like one of his pet peeves was, uh, when somebody touched or put a post-it note or something on his monitor, like that was like, that was gold. You don't touch that. And when he quit, he put a post-it note on my monitor that just said, I quit. And um, he's a good friend of mine. We still hang out, but it was just like, oh, wow. Like he, like, this is not going to last. This isn't going to work. So that like the ability, you have to be able to roll with things. You know, I, I got, um, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll make the podcast more interesting, but I got cussed out the other day by, um, a prospect that I couldn't help. Um, and I even sent them some other, op- you know, it's, you know, it was a budget expectation, conflict of interest, like a bunch of variables were uh, involved. So I just like, look, I, I can't take on your project, but I'll send you a list of people who I trust that probably can. And he just, he tore into me um, just from a, like, you know, how dare you not take my business? And it was, um, you know, I, you can't, react with that same level of temper or, you know, come back at somebody like that because, you know, you have to have empathy for where they are. He's not, he doesn't understand agencies. He's not, you know, he's in, in a completely different line of work and he's got his own set of, you know, stresses on his day. So you just, you can't come at anger or frustration with anger or frustration. And I think, you know, if I could develop a good test for candidates, I think that would be it, you know, and I've, I've seen some, um, (laughs) I've seen some people that are more brash than me, like come in with like a really challenging or upsetting question in an interview process just to see how they react. And I'm not that mean, but sometimes I wish I was just to see how, like, what are you, what are you going to say to that? What you hope to say in there, you know, that's, (laughs) it feels like those types of I get some of those types of inquiries too. And it's, and I feel like sometimes you're like, okay, dodge the bullet, you know, yeah, too. Right. Goes both ways. So it's, it's funny. So, Jason, I know that you guys do uh, branding, design, strategy, development. Mm-hmm. Were, were you like this, like from the beginning? Like, how, t- tell us more about how did you start and what was the, you know, um, what made you get into this domain in this field, like to build an agency yeah. and then what exactly, what were you planning to achieve? Sure. Um, I, if, if I get, if I bore you, please interject. Uh, but I actually started in a graphic arts vocational program at my high school in 1989, 88, 89. 
Um, so this was before Max, uh, you know, we went to a different building and learned how to run a printing press. We learned how to do layout on a light table and Ruby lith and make plates and all that stuff. Um, and my, my teacher actually like the top, like the best thing that could happen in this vocational school is you get a co-op position. Um, and he placed me at a university here in Louisville at, um, in, in their print shop. So my senior year of high school, I, I half the day I was in school. And then the half of the day I went to this university and worked in their print shop and my career just developed from there. So that was, uh, you know, it was very hands-on. It was very tactical. Um, it was very foundational, I guess, like all the things that you learned that I learned back then were, you know, the, the internet hadn't come yet, but it was, once you saw the promise of the internet, when it started to kind of bubble up, I was in university situation, like we had fast internet access as soon as it came. Um, so like this opportunity, it was just like an explosion of opportunity and it was really easy to see the next 20 years, you know? So, um, so that was exciting. So I just started to soak in as much as I could. Um, and just as, as a doer, and I think that gave me the perspective from, you know, again, like that was 30 years ago, um, just the perspective of knowing how to get things done when a lot of people, I mean, there are still people that are, feel like they're new to this industry, but I feel like I grew up here. So when I left, I worked at a bigger agency here in town and I left in 2003 because I, I was a cocky little kid and thought that I could do it better. Um, so that was a uh, like, to, so long way to answer your question is I thought I could do it better. So I quit this agency job and um, I started to do freelance and contract work. Uh, and I actually met somebody that owned via studio. Um, he actually founded the company in 1996. And in 2003, um, I joined up with him. He was a really good business development person. And I was really good at knowing how to get things done. I had a lot of ideas, you know, just growing, you know, you're swimming in the waters of the internet. So you, it's, it's a, it was easier for me to see how to get things done or have ideas for how people could solve a problem or a goal. Um, and then, you know, he tried to hire me um, for VIA and I did not want to be hired. So I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just do contract work for you. I'm good. Um, and then after we worked together for about six months, um, he offered to let me buy into the company. And um, there was, I think at that point there were, there were just three or four of us. Um, and, um, now what 18, 19 years later, there's, um, you know, 16 of us, we're doing lots of really good work. The type of work has changed a lot, but it's still, um, uh, it's been rewarding. Yeah. So similar story. We had the last guest also share something similar around, um, you know, how did he found his company? Like he was also being asked um, you know, to join as a contractor or an employee, but he did not want to. So he said no. And yeah. then, you know, came in as partners because, you know, uh, that's what you wanted to do. So. Right. There's, there's power in that word. I know, I know that's a, uh, you know, it, it's an aphorism for a reason. Kind of why we're all sitting here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, he, I don't know where he is on your screen, but that's how we met. So, he's you know. there. 
Okay, so he's, I'll go like this. <laughs> um, you said something I wanted to kind of go back to for a minute that I think is interesting because it's something that I find frequently when chatting with agency people is we know how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a loaded sentence, but we know how to, you know, and I think for, for, for you, the aspiration and tying back to what we're talking about, the knowing how to do things better, you know, what was it that you felt like you knew how to do better and get really specific with me and, or with us in terms of like, was it, did you notice there was a process issue? Was it the creative? Okay. So yeah, it's the the flow and how it works through the organization talk to us a little bit about like, give us some insight what you were thinking. Yeah. Um, so we had, um, we had a huge client at this big agency that I worked at 120 employees or so, um, more traditional. Um, and there was an interactive piece of this. Um, and we were at the time we were developing, um, it started with CD ROMs because there was too much content for the internet back then. So, um, (laughs) right. Yeah. So it was, you know, we did the, this package of training CD ROMs in, uh, macromedia director and flash at the time. Yes. And it was, it was essentially replacing a big conference that they had twice a year. So they were saving millions of dollars by not having to fly all of their sales managers into Louisville to do these trainings. It was a huge value to that company. And however, there were maybe three of us, four of us that actually knew how to do this work. So we were working 16, 18 hour days on, on the regular um, and it just wasn't sustainable. I, I had, um, when, when it got to the end of that, I had worked a 26 hour day. Um, and I went to my boss after that day, you know, I, I worked from eight 30, um, in the morning to about nine 30 the next morning. And I was just like, I'm, I, m- my boss comes in and it's like, okay, well, y'all go get a shower and come on back because we're not done yet. I'm just like, I, no, not, nope, can't do this. Um, and that was, you know, that kind of spun around in my head is like, you know, you can't treat people that way. I guess that was the biggest thing. Um, that was really important to me. Like I felt like I I wanted to do this work. It was exciting. There was, you know, being able to figure that stuff out that nobody else could was super cool. Um, so the hours wasn't that weren't that big of a deal, but the fact that they, there was no empathy, there was no you know, like you, they just couldn't loosen the chains at all. And it was all about making this client happy and delivering on time, which I get. But, you know, when you work for four months in a row, 12 to 16 hour days, um, you know, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, she would, she would get home from going out with her friends and like, we'd be on AOL, AOL instant messenger at like two, two in the morning, I'd still be at the office. And she's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, working. (laughs) Um, so that was, um, that was a big deal for me. So when I, I had the opportunity, you know, and the luck to, you know, be in the position that I'm in, you know, having empathy for my staff and, um, just making sure that we don't do that was really important to me. So, uh, but that's where process comes in. That's where people skills come in. That's where, you know, finding more efficient ways to get things done. So you don't work 16 hour days. How do you guys manage um, that now? You know, I know it's, it's an interesting cause 
in, early in my career, I had some of the same similar experiences, you know, maybe not a 26 right. hour day, but like with COVID and the world has changed and virtual everything. And, you know, how do you guys like give us some nuggets there? How do you nuts and bolts? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. our COO, um, Crystal Glover, she's amazing. Um, she's been here for, I think nine, nine years at this point, maybe 10. Um, so we have a really good relationship. We've got a really good rhythm and the like, so we have essentially our system is our accounts team is responsible for scheduling out our team um, by Thursday of the week um, previous. So all the tasking is done the week before so that the team knows what they're working on the next week. And then they get the opportunity, they get the opportunity to estimate their, their tasks. So, and then she'll go back into the system after everyone's estimated their task. And it's like, oh, hey, so-and-so's, you know, they're, they're scheduled for 45 hours next week. Is there anything we can move? Sometimes there's not, but most of the time it's not critical. So it's, you know, hey, this, can this internal task roll? So uh, that's the conversation that we have on late Thursday and early Friday. So again, everybody knows what their next week is going to be. Um, and they get an opportunity to, to participate in that and how that gets scheduled. That's and it, that's, it works really well. We've been doing that for, I don't know, five or six years at this point. Um, and again, it's not perfect. Um, and you have to anticipate clients that will have last minute requests and that type of thing. But uh, once you have a good rhythm with that, it works really well. Yeah, scope creep. It's always everybody's <laughs> biggest nemesis, scope yeah. creep. <laughs> what what would be your uh, the biggest strength like i mean as, as i mentioned earlier like you kind of do pretty much everything mm -hmm. uh, do you call yourself full service or you call yourself more of a branding and design company how do you position yourself um it's it is i i don't have that one sentence positioning that um that it's the biggest problem right now. Right, right. right. I mean, yeah. So. But so the I think our strength there in positioning is our roadmap. So I have a few graphics that I can use to show our prospects of our methodology. Um, and I kind of stole it from EOS. If you know the yeah. what what EOS is, um, you know some of the nuggets. And you know we borrow from EOS as is useful. We haven't adopted it. Um, scientifically like some other organizations have. But um, one of the nuggets th that I got from that is the roadmap. So we have a roadmap for brand strategy. We have a roadmap for identity. We have a roadmap for um, content and marketing collateral. And we have a roadmap for websites and application development. So if someone has a need in any of those uh, four or five lanes that we have, I can show them exactly how we think about it and exactly how we're going to get that work done. And, you know, the, the weakness that we have now is it does require kind of a, you know, 45 minute to an hour long conversation. But if, if I can have that conversation, you know, we've, we've got a pretty good win rate from there. You know, I think all agencies kind of aim for 30% and, you know, we're, we're probably there. And a little bit higher than that, if we can get to that roadmap conversation. So does that roadmap conversation happen? Um, I guess you start with a sales call and then from there you qualify the prospect 
and then you decide if they're ready to do the discovery. Like where does the discovery fit in uh, in the roadmap conversation? Um, there's, there's a strategy phase at the beginning of every engagement, everyone. So that's um, depending on the type of work kind of defines what that looks like. And again, we've got, we've got great templates for um, what we call a strategy brief. You know, we kind of uh, modified a creative brief to define what the, you know, because with strategy, you're, you're trying to figure out what to figure out, if that makes any sense. So yeah. that, can be con- that can be confusing to some people. And if, they're, if they come to us and they're open and they know, you know, so we, we just got hired for some brand strategy work. And um, again, the, the prospect didn't really know what they, like, we don't know what we need to know. And that's a great place for us to come in because we do have a methodology to help them put shape to that. Um, and I'm really excited to show them at that point, um, you know, here's, here's a similar situation where we solve that problem for, you know, 10 other clients. And the, the compliment that I got from this prospect, uh, this was maybe three weeks ago, he was like, everybody else I've talked to in this that does this work just seems too loosey goosey. Like I'm not convinced that they can give me what I need, but I can understand, I can see your linear process and see how each deliverable builds on the other one and that I am going to get what I need. And that's just, that was the biggest compliment I've gotten so far this year. That's good. It's a good, um, it's a good insight. I think one of the biggest, another struggle that, that I've seen is when people say, I need this thing. I need this widget. And you're like, actually, you don't, you need these right. six other, you know, purple <laughs> widgets. Right. And how do you get them? Like, do you have a, within that, you know, when they come, when they don't know, when they don't know, it's, I feel like it's so much more fun and easier to kind of dive in because you're educating while yeah. solving problems. But it's the, how do you pivot from like, okay, I need the widget. Do you have like a, a method yeah. for? Well, it's, um. so this is a, uh... I don't know, this is kind of the light bulb moment that I had a few years ago because I would have, you know, our design team would get frustrated because of that conversation, right? It's like, hey, client X asked for this and this isn't really what they need. Like, how do we tell them they're wrong? I'm like, you don't. <laughs> no. They're, you know, so, so the way that I define that and try to help mentor my team is, are they asking you to do a thing or are they asking you to solve a problem? Because in their mind, that's very different. Like even with me, if I ask my team to do a thing and they try to solve a problem, I get frustrated. It's like, no, just give me a JPEG. Like this doesn't need to be, you know, we're not going to over-engineer this thing. I just need a thing. It's disposable. It's an artifact of, you know, a process. And I don't want to over talk. I don't want to talk too much about it. Just do the thing. So that's a really great way for our team that, that I use to, to help our team not get frustrated with clients is maybe they're just asking you to do a thing and maybe that needs to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when they ask us to solve a problem, we're really good at that, but you have to know how open they are to that, to that being the case. So uh, that, that's quite interesting because, and I can relate to that a lot since um, we, you know, we have done, so we, we work with clients all over the globe, right? And they, uh, 
the, the biggest thing that we hear, or not we like in, in general, any offshore shop, like, you know, offshore teams that you work with, if you have worked, I don't know, but if, and when you work with them, you'll, you'll notice that this is the common um, challenge that clients would, would talk about that, you know, they are great when you tell them this is what we want. Right. But, you know, when it comes to problem solving or when it comes to, you know, strategizing, uh, sometimes they don't get that feedback back because I think there's a difference uh, in, in expectations. Like you said yeah. it, right? If, so before you even engage with the client, set the expectations right. Like, what are you looking for? Do you want us to come in as partners, as collaborators, as someone who do the thinking with you? Or right. do you want us to just do the job? Here are the tasks and just do them. So once you set those expectations, I think a lot of problems solve right there. And then, you know, otherwise clients have something in their head versus they are asking something else to do, or at least the, the team is thinking something else. So right. making yeah. sure that that is uh, clarified and, and communicated properly makes a huge difference. Right. It goes back to the soft skills of the at the beginning of this conversation, right? Like you really... There's some psychology involved in, you know, a client doesn't know that framing. And sometimes you don't want them to know that framing because they might be asking you to solve a problem, but they might think that they're asking you to do a thing. And it's really simple. Um, yeah. So that's, um, I think so it's true. a good perspective. I, I, I love that conversation, you know, uh, like time after time, if a staff member approaches me with a frustration um, with a project or a client, that's, you know, that's the framing we use and it like, you can get to it very quickly at that point. Yeah. yeah. We, we always use the like, so here's what I'm hearing from you. This is what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, it's my favorite, you know, teaching, teaching the younger folk. Here's how you do that. And they do it once. They're like, oh, that worked. I can't <laughs> believe it. I'm like, yeah, I know. Because you're repeating like that's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the trick in writing proposals for people too. And I hate to say this out loud on a recorded podcast, but like, most of a proposal in a lot of cases is us repeating back what you told us to begin with. So, you know, that we heard you. Yeah. It's a, you know, <laughs> honestly, that's the best compliment that you can pay somebody that works in an agency is, you know, how to listen. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite clients and he's moved to Chicago, which is, I, I hate because I, we just had such a great re working relationship. He's like, Jason, you and your team are the best listeners I've ever worked with. And I'm just like, that's, that's all I want. So what do you do to become the best listener? You knew I was going to ask that, you know, how do you, how do you get there? Like, are there outside of what we talked about already? Are there other things that you inherently can I, do? Can I cuss? Yeah. You shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> That's what you do. Like so many people and you can like, you, you see this just within a conversation with friends. Like sometimes a conversation is just waiting to say the next thing and not actually adding context or relevance to the conversation. So you have to just shut up, right? It's like your, um, your mouth can close, but your ears can't. There's some like wise man saying there, <laughs> that I'm to totally botching, but I mean, really, it's not that hard. You just have to have some uh, self-awareness and, you know, this is my problem with some of the, some podcasts when I get interviewed is like, if I'm blabbering, I need you to stop me because I'll get on a roll and maybe it's not interesting anymore. Um, so 
that's um we had these little business cards um that we we didn't make them but they were brilliant um and it just said shut the fuck up um and i would have a stack of them and if somebody was talking too much in a meeting i would just kind of slide it over um (laughs) that didn't last very long because it's pretty offensive but um you have to be self-aware when you're, when you're meeting with some people and you can't be overconfident or just ready to give your spiel. You have to listen. It's a, there's a book I read that taps right into that. It's from years. I don't remember when it was published. I'm sure you've heard of it called Tuesdays with Maury. One of these cheesy heartfelt books by, I haven't uh, heard of that one. Oh, okay. So it's by an author named Mitch Album, who is a, he used to be a journalist. It takes place. It's uh, an old professor of his, he's, who's dying and he goes back and every Tuesday they have a conversation. But one of the best things, I think I read it when I was in high school or something like that years ago, but to exactly what you're saying, it's one of those things that I have, I tried it and went, oh my God, this actually works. It's like, you're, you're, you know, most conversations is you're waiting to speak. It's like you said earlier. Yeah. And yeah. if you just listen, people will think you're a great listener, even though if you don't add any value to the conversation. Right. You know? There's, I don't know where this story came from, but it's, um, it was, it's that like, if you're on a plane, the most interesting person is the one that's just asking somebody questions and letting them talk. It's, uh, it's the best advice I got. This is not my first podcasting hosting gig, but the best advice I got from a fellow podcaster who's incredibly talented and a someone who does a great job at like mediating and stuff like that. I said, what advice do you have as I dive into this? And he said, just keep asking why. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And now you all know the secret. <laughs> and the rest of this podcast, we're just going to keep asking you, Jason, why'd you do that? How'd well, you do you that? Know, Where'd you go? That's... <laughs> Right. It would, and it's easy in theory and it's hard in practice. It's true for everyone. So yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. That's, um, uh, Varun's really good at it. I've met him a couple times at bureau events and you know, I'm like tiptoeing in his direction over the course of the last couple of years to ask him some questions about what he does, but he's never been a hard sell. He's like, Hey, I've, you know, here's what I do. I might be able to help you. And I'm like, he's never like attacked me with that. So he must be, he must be good at what he does. Like that's the assumption in my head. So, you know, kudos to you and, and that approach. Yeah. You know, that's when we first met, it's like, I'm Varun, I do this. And it's like, sometimes we need that. So, you know, kind of lodged in the back of my head is like, is that phone call? So we'll talk about that some other time. That's, that's the very meta we got right now. And sometimes yeah. I, that's why I like this conversation because we end up, you know, we all end up in a different spot. So, right. All right. What keeps you up at night? It's an agency owner. It's like the one that, I mean, last night for me, I'll tell you what kept me up last night is trying to figure out how to connect somebody's system with a different system and trying to figure out Zapier or Zapier, however you <laughs> to make the, like the whole thing. And then Googling the internet, trying to figure out. And like Varun is on my short list of people to be like, you got somebody who knows how to do this. <laughs> Can you help me? Oh, wow. So, but what's, um, you know, what, what keeps you up at night? What's, what do you um, about? Right. Um, and it will have a different answer at different times. So we are looking at oh, yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today, last night, yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, our forecasting always keeps me up. You know, we have to say, stay profitable and sustainable. Um, you know, sometimes agency life can be a roller coaster. So, you know, are we going to sign that next client? Um, 
I feel very, I get very self-conscious if I think, um, you know, like a staff member is unhappy. Um, that's, that really like gets to the heart of, you know, why I wanted to do this in the first place. So if some, you know, if we've got a staff member that is, you know, not progressing as they want to, or they're upset with me about something like, I, I just, I, I can't stand that. <laughs> it really is. It's frustrating. And, you know, at, it's unavoidable, but it's also, um, um, it's, it's just one of those things, right? Like you're, you're, we're, we're in these positions because we feel like we know how to be the, the conductor. And if you feel like you're not doing that well, that's, um, that can be really demoralizing. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, losing clients obviously can be frustrating. Um, uh, and can keep you up, especially the ones that are, you know, a big percentage of your revenue. Um, so that's a big stressor. Can, yeah. I want to ask you about, you know, when staff members, you know, we've talked a lot about staff, but I think it's important because it's kind of the lifeblood of what we do. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's part of what clients are buying. And I have a couple of questions around that for you. So you said it, it really bugs you when you think somebody's unhappy. Do you know, like, are you an open door policy kind of guy? Like, give us a little bit of insight in how, you know, I've worked for agency owners who are, you mm -mm, You don't walk in there, you don't have that conversation. And I have some who are still really, really good friends of mine. Right, you know? right. So, no, I mean, I come from production. So I empathize a lot with somebody that's, you know, overworked mm -hmm. or, you know, just kind of burnt out on what they've been doing. I, you know, I, I totally get it. Um, so yeah, I'm more of an open door and, you know, I probably welcome that conversation more often than people take me up on it. Um, because I, sure. I like it. I like, you know, I, I think sometimes when you are frustrated, you're caught in a perspective loop, you know, it's hard to get someone else's perspective. So, you know, my business goals for VIA and keeping, you know, everybody flowing in the same direction on the river are, are different than, you know, a designer or a developer's goal and, you know, what they want out of their career. Like sometimes, sometimes we did an exercise last week at owner summit and it's, you know, uh, outline all of your staff. And one of the exercises is, are they, are they flowing in the same direction as you? And, you know, I, I, it's rare that, you know, you, you reach 15, 20 employees and, and everyone's rolling in the same direction all the time. So that's, that's, um, you have to be ready to have that conversation. Um, sometimes other people aren't ready to hear what you have to say. Um, and sometimes that's like the, an early signal that a change needs to happen, whether they are, you know, it's time to graduate them and they're out, um, whether by choice or not, or, mm -hmm. um, or just, you know, a, a, a different kind of shift as far as professional development or whatnot. Yeah. That outgrowing. So you, oh, sorry, Varun. You are saying, so you, you being 20 people company, you think you are at a point where everyone is, looking at the same direction like this is like one of the us philosophy right mm -hmm. um so do you think you guys your team is you know you have a strong vision and everyone is aligned with that are you going in that direction i um you know ask confidentially all of my staff they might say something different but i feel like we're in a really good place right now um and honestly one of the things that i did that i think helped that is um really empowered our leadership team to lead their teams. So, yeah. you know, I'm looking at 
four or five other people than 20 people. Like when you're, uh, until you give other people that authority to kind of help guide that vision and you leave it all on your own shoulders, um, that it's just not sustainable. So, uh, so when we made that shift and we did that a couple of years ago, um, just like the most senior person on each team is essentially part of our leadership team. And we huddle up once a week. Again, I've kind of stole this from EOS. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't talk about rocks and, and all of those things, but we do talk about, you know, what, how, how's everybody doing? How's your team doing? How's our clients doing? Um, and just to check in, like, what are, you know, and then, um, Crystal, our COO and I can report back to them on our metrics, you know, which is business development and, you know, possibly actualization or whatnot for the past month or quarter. Talking about business development, where do you see your company going in next five years? Do you see you, are you looking for aggressive growth? Are you looking, you're, you're happy where you are? Like, because I think 15, 20 is a size where owners tend to, you know, decide like what do they really want out of the agency like once you get to 50 then you know like yeah this is a good place to be but 10 to 10 to 20 people it's like you know i don't know what i want like i mean we can grow organically or we can just grow you know higher and and keep growing and where do you see yourself um i don't believe in aggressive growth i've never seen that work um being led by a company like me again like i'm not an mba i'm have no training on, you know, how to leverage equity to hire a hundred people. And, you know, that's, I just, I have no idea how to do that. I have no interest in it. Um, every business owner that I've talked to, you know, agency owner that I've talked to, um, you know, there's that really tumultuous place where you're not making more money yourself, but you are expending a lot more energy and income and it's a risk. So you know, I, I would be completely happy for us being, you know, 20 ish people until I retired and sold the company and, or, you know, what, whatever that next step is, I'm okay with that. Um, the, the reward that I get is definitely, you know, the, uh, back to those relationships, back to, you know, our network. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you a question because I have been dying to ask this the entire time we're chatting. Good. Do you have full-time people or do you do a combo? You know, what's your, what's your, what's your makeup in there? Is that a fair question uh, to ask? Yeah, sure. Uh, everybody's full-time employee here. Gotcha. Um, we, um, and we have a small network of uh, contractors or other agency people that we collaborate with if, if necessary. Supporters. So. Yeah, there's a friend of mine that owns a design agency here, um, and I love him to death. We're buds, and um, you know, we we do web projects for him, and we bring him on as a, a design or creative lead on some of our projects when it's appropriate. Um, same thing with things like photography and video. Um, again, Varun asked earlier if we consider ourselves full service. Uh, I hate that positioning. I don't think it's real. Um, you know, there was an agency once here in town that had a, we, we are the unicorn. We do everything you want it. Yeah, we got it. It's like, um, it, that just sounds desperate. Um, it's, as a marketer, when I work with clients, you know, in that space, when I say, oh, who's your target audience? And that's one of the specialties for me is like really love to dive into who they're trying to go after. Yeah. To everybody. I'm like, no, you don't. 
Mm-mm. <laughs> What's well, do you, do you want to, you know, we, we're still, you know, we're, we're at a size in a, in a revenue that, you know, at, you know, in a slow quarter, we'll take on a really small web project. Um, and, you know, sometimes you love it and it's worth it because it's a nonprofit or it's a person that you really respect. Um, but sometimes it's just there because it's, you know, a little bit more money in your bank account that week. Um, and that's, a, you know, if there's any growth, Varun, to answer your question, it's, it's to be able to just go ahead and, and say no to those types of things when the bank account's a little short. Uh, because, you know, honestly, uh, and again, unless it's a nonprofit that you're willing to go above and beyond for somebody that you respect and want to do some work for, um, it, it's rarely a rewarding project. So what, one last question I would have um, is how has COVID changed the way you have been working? You know, how, since everybody has gone remote, um, how has that changed your approach to delivering the web projects, the design projects or any, you know, any type of work that you guys do? Yeah, well, we, we were, um, you know, in a 6,000 foot um, building before COVID. Now we're pretty much fully remote. Um, we still own the building and I'm, I'm here every day, you know, most of the time by myself, but there's some people that come in, you know, 20, 30% of the time. Um, so just working dispersed has been a big change. Um, you know, we've got a couple um, rooms here in the office that are just filled with whiteboards and those kind of strategy whiteboard sessions. Uh, to be honest, I love that kind of work. I think it's, you know, fulfilling and collaborative. Um, and some of our staff misses that too, but I don't think it was as critical as we thought. So, you know, we've been doing, you know, we've been working on big, big projects since COVID and have launched them just as successfully as we would have otherwise. So uh, I think a reevaluation of what really makes a culture and what really makes uh, the work good you know, solve the problem for the clients and, you know, gets deployed and released with quality. Uh, our, our assumptions are drastically changed now, you know, that's, um, I'm, I'm super interested in, um, you know, the, uh, like 60% of agencies have the, the background video of them whiteboarding, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and what, what's that going to be now? Yeah. <laughs> Is that vi- videos of us all on Zoom calls? <laughs> you know, the group picture of everybody. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I, I think that'll come back in some way. You know, we'll ha- always have some type of physical presence, but, you know, I, and I don't have an answer to this yet, but how, how critical is that to doing great work? Um, and I'm still, I still don't know because, you know, the quality of our work has, hasn't gone down. So again, it's more like assumptions for me. Like I'm all, all of my, my reality has been shattered a little bit. Yeah. Do you think, you know, you have your staff, you know, if you were in a growth phase and you were hiring, for example, I feel like that might be an interesting challenge because managing remotely new people who don't know you and don't know your, your methodologies and things like that's where I think some people might get tripped up a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I, the definition of culture is different. You know, it's like, you know, five or six years ago, it was like, we have ping pong. Um, 
that we have beer <laughs> right we've got a kegerator Great. Um, and you know we actually just uh sent an anonymous survey to our staff that said if we were fully remote moving forward would you consider employment elsewhere and nobody said yes so i think that's um a testament to what culture really means which is being empathetic to your staff caring about them as much as you care about the bottom line, um, checking in with people, just that those lines of communication, those lines of empathy. Um, that's so much more culture than, Hey, we go to have a drink every Thursday after work. That's, yeah. you know, the authenticity that you bring, you know, I think it's become, I've talked a lot about this with folks too, is like people want to work for companies that know their people. You know, regardless yeah. of you're an agency, a company, an organization, a firm, fill in the blank here, you know, it's it's treating people like humans. And I think that's a really interesting point in terms of, you know, you get to this past year has been a challenge in a lot of ways, but also like, I feel like we're going to live life a little bit differently as we move forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I did. A, I took a road trip back in July of last year. Um, we went up to Maine. Uh, we converted a school bus into a camper <gasps> um, and went on the road for three weeks and just like working from a school bus was so cool. <laughs> I'm super jealous because I've been bugging my husband to do that. I'm like, can we sell the house to buy a van and travel the world do or the it. country? He's not quite there yet. It's a commitment. Yeah. It's still a road trip vehicle for us. I wouldn't live in it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've that actually is a nice segue into kind of the second half of our conversation. We want to learn a little bit more about you, you know, tell us, Tell us about, I love the way this question is phrased. Tell us about little, little Jason. Tell us about, you know, when you're a child, where you grew up, where you're from, give us some good, you know, I know you've got some good stories in there. <laughs> of course I've got good stories. <laughs> give us, give uh, us some insights. Um, now you're on the spot. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Are you from Louisville originally? Yeah. Born and raised in Louisville. Um, and, you know, was, <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I <laughs> everything childhood sounds. Um, I don't know. I don't want to sound stereotypical, but you know, we weren't well off. Um, we lived in you know one of the more uh, lower lower middle class neighborhoods in the city, um, and you know most of most of my family was you know just kind of traditional middle class, like find a job at the car factory and work 30, 40 years and then retire, um, which a uh, was kind of funny because when I quit that big agency job, my mom called me up about a week later and she's, she had been worried about me the whole time. And she's like, Jason, there's probably still time that you can call them up and beg for your job back. And I was just so done at that point. It's just like, mom, that's, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so the, um, I guess music was a big influence on me um, as I started to develop as a human um, which was, I think taught me, you know, what, what sports teaches a lot of people, I think about teamwork and that kind of thing. Uh, and also just not being, not having stage fright, uh, <laughs> not That's being afraid to go one. on a, go on a podcast, um, and talk for a couple <laughs> hours. Um, so, you know, so that turned into, uh, you know, I've always had a passion for music. I've always played in bands or DJed or, or whatnot. Um, what do you play? Uh, right now it's, um, I've got, I do a lot of electronic music, 
um, I've got a couple albums out. Um, I'll send you a link for the show notes if you like. Yes, um, please. But yeah, I actually just during COVID, I booted up a new a new moniker called Angel of the Bottomless Pit. Um, just to be completely non-professional and, and goofy and stupid. Um, so, so that, that's always been fun. Um, I, um, uh, what'd you start with? Where'd you start with the music? You know, electronic is start, started with, started guitar, with drums, drums, drums okay. with heavy metal and hardcore bands. Excellent. Uh, Louis, Louisville actually had a really thriving, uh, music scene in the early nineties, um, with that style of music, like straight edge, hardcore and whatnot. Um, which was, which was honestly really inspiring. There's a couple bands that really, you know, when you grow up in kind of a lower class part of, um, the state here in Kentucky, obviously it's very conservative. Um, you could use other words to describe it that I'm not going to, um, n- but doesn't give you a really broad outlook on the world. Um, so, getting involved in that music scene really opened my eyes to, I don't know, education opportunities, different ways of looking at the world, being okay, being political and progressive, being okay, being kind of weird and kind of like outside of normal expectations. Um, And that kind of set up the segue into um, what turned into like techno and house music in the early nineties. Like that happened at the same time, the internet happened. So there was this big kind of cyberpunk culture that evolved out of all of this, right? And then for the next 10 or 12 years, it was, you know, we were building websites and being cyberpunks during the week. And on the weekend, we were staying up all night and going to rave parties and being crazy. And I mean, that was 10 years of my life. Um, So I learned a lot there. Um, I was a rave promoter for a while, uh, which was super fun. Um, and also probably gave me the entrepreneurial itch, if you will, um, learning how to manage big budgets and egos and all of that stuff. So that was fun. Um, You can't discount, like, it's such an interesting, you know, as a promoter and the sales, I feel like everybody should either work in, you know, a service industry or, um, you retail at some point in their life to get that experience. So yeah, that's young designers. I'm, you know, if like looking for work, I'm like, find like, like create a brand or find a band that you love and do some work for them or, you know, like do something cultural and social to, you know, just learn how to do this work. Um, stretch your legs a little bit. It's, um, uh, I just, like I learned so much during that period of my life. Uh, so were some of the bands you had in your record player, CD player, depending on how you want to answer the question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Gets, give us, give us some insights. Who are you? Well, early high school was all like heavy metal and thrash metal. So I'm, okay. I'm like right, right in that, that lane in mm-hmm. like 1986, 87, going to see Metallica and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and then as I got a little bit older and weirder, it turned into the more industrial sounds, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry. Um, and that was, uh, that led into the electronic music, right? There's, you know, like you're, you're talking about drum, mach- like tr- drum machines and then like the anger and the angst of, of youth kind of floats away a little bit. And you're like, oh, you know, there's, there's some sounds over here that aren't so angry and that are actually uplifting and amazing. And then you go to a house music party in Chicago with like 6,000 people just jumping up and down and hugging and 
you know, you're like, wow, this, like, this is a whole different world. Um, it's like Beastie Boys going from what they were into that, you know, instrumental album that they put out. I want yeah. to say it was like, oh, I don't know the exact date, but I just remember they came to Boston and we saw them like, and so the first half of the show, they played that instrumental music and you're like, it's amazing, right? Yeah. What is this? In the second half, they played all the stuff that you're used to hearing. And so it's, right. like, it's, it's such an interesting how that, that feeds into both of them. We and actually it, did a, we did a yeah. Halloween party in 2015 with a uh, Mixmaster master Mike, who was yes. a beastie boy for, for a while. So we still, we still talk on occasion. So that's like, that's cool. Yeah, he's he's good people. So nice, nice name drop right there. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're looking for good stories, we did. Yeah. Um, ha- have you ever did, heard of? Pardon? I was gonna say corn did something like that too. I want to say it was about ten years ago. Not my favorite genre, but I have seen them many a times because of people in my life. But they <laughs> did some sort of electronic. Um, you know, Jonathan Davis, who's their frontman, did some sort of electronic music coming out of what corn was in the in the '90s. I know I'm a, I'm at the end of the '90s for you, mid '90s, but yeah, it's an interesting. Like it's so funny how that you know influenced by Duran Duran. There's right. the extent of my corn knowledge. That's all of it. Now you have all of it. But I have I have no um, knowledge. Um, yeah. Ta- Tommy Lee from Motley Crue and Mixmaster Mike from the Beastie Boys are best friends. You would never know that. Really? Yeah. And I, I've got some stories that he told me, but I don't think I'm allowed to say them out loud. I, yeah, don't do um, that. Right. What, uh, what so, else you it, um, so I guess, so being, being part of like some of those cultural movements, um, there was also, um, I, at the same time I joined VIA 2003, um, I helped some friends of mine. They booted up a festival called Lebowski Fest. Have you heard of Lebowski Fest? Um, no, but I'm going to guess on where you're going with this. Right. So it's, you know, Star Trek convention for big Lebowski nerds. So excellent. Um, so, yeah, this festival traveled the United States and the world for probably about 10 years, um, you know, and it's fizzled in recent years. But one of the first ones that we did in um, Los Angeles, uh, Jeff Bridges came to. And he, so we did, so have you seen the big Lebowski Varun? Of course. Jesse? Yeah. Yeah? Um, So there's a band in the big Lebowski called Autobahn. That's kind of a craft work ripoff. So we performed at the knitting factory in Los Angeles, me and three of my friends as Autobahn. So we wore the, like the red shirts and the tie and we're very (laughs) German and nihilist and we believe in nothing um, and all that. And so, um, the, the crowd, it was a sold out crowd at the knitting factory and they didn't know that Jeff Bridges was going to be there. So we, we played and it's like a joke band. And then they lowered the curtain and they played like some clips from the movie or something. And while they were doing that, Jeff and his band were getting set up. And then the curtain comes up and Jeff Bridges is like, dudes, and the whole place just erupts. Yeah. Cold chills. Like it was so amazing. So that's um, there's a there's a picture of me with Jeff Bridges backstage that was just like it's like that is I don't amazing. have it I don't have it framed but I should he was so you nice. <laughs> so here's a little I don't know if Arun knows this here's a little tidbit to add on to your story. So I got married in 2013. Congratulations. Thanks. It was yeah a long time ago. But um, <laughs> the reason for that we got married in Rhode Island in Rhode Island at the time, civil ceremonies weren't a thing. So you had to have a religious ceremony. And so we didn't want to have a religious ceremony. And so my uncle got ordained in the Church of Latter-day Dudes and he wore the, the 
the Big Lebowski bowling shirt. And that's what my marriage certificate says is Church of Latter-day Dudes from the Big Lebowski. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. Well done. You know, sometimes you just got to go with it. So there's there's some some nuggets for you. Right. Yeah. Small world. So I I do feel blessed (laughs) just, you know, not just from a career perspective, but just, you know, from like the my passions with music and and social stuff is um you know there's there's probably another two hours worth of stories there i did a uh, a four-day music camp out festival at a yoga retreat center in 1999 that had about four thousand people there um that i i did with a friend of mine that was just out of this world it was super fun great memories i had a uh, I'll, I'll tell this story um, so I played keyboards in a band um, called VHS or Beta um, about 20 years ago, and we played at the um, we played in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, New Year's Eve, 1999 to 2000, and they volunteered me to do the countdown. So there's you know 7,000 people at this party, and I have to count down. So the the drummer's drum machine. It was so uh, humid in the venue. The drummer's drum machine wouldn't start. So I would be like, 10, 9, 8. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. So I'd like get back. And then, you know, we actually counted down to midnight at like 12.05. (laughs) I'm sure nobody noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they were all hammered at that point. Yeah, it's it's just such a, that's that's definitely from, you know, from here to here, you can't, I, I, I know I have to verbalize that because, you know, for people listening, I'm saying going from rave promoting and the Big Lebowski to a yoga retreat, it's a little bit of a different animal. It's a, uh, well, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's a, I had my hippie, hippie raver phase. Um, my, <laughs> you, you might not recognize me when I had my dreadlocks down in my butt. It was, Excellent. um, it was a different phase of life. All right. So I'm going to wrap up here. I have one more question for you. You know, this is, this is, this is my favorite question of the entire conversation. Let's so, do it. What is your superpower? If you have to pick one, what is it? Optimism. Mm. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, just talking about all these stories and everything. Um, I rarely think about the worst things that happen first. I think about what the possibilities are. Um and however, after going through some business coaching and being kind of a cocky bastard at times in my life, what I have learned, and this might be another addition to your question if you interview other people, sure. um, and something that I like need to write a book on one day, I feel like truly that your greatest strength, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. So if optimism is my greatest strength, there is... A, um, in, in my business coaching, my coach calls that reality testing. So um, we did, a, we actually got a dream client a couple of years ago, um, had a two year project with them that took them through our whole ro- roadmap of branding, um, brand strategy, identity, websites, big e-commerce site for them. And when we first started the project, I was so excited, but we didn't know how we were going to get it done. And we actually lost a couple employees along the way, because I was just like, we'll figure it out. Like, this is awesome. Don't you think it's awesome? And they're like, no, this isn't awesome. This is I could like, 
how are we going to do this? And um, I was just like, I didn't realize how much of a jerk and how unempathetic I was being to my staff uh, during that part of the process. Like I should have developed a little bit of a plan of, you know, how we're going to put shape to this before it's just like, we, we want a big project. So, but that being a superpower is also like, I, I, I'm really good at helping other people see what could be like in the best case of, you know, what success looks like. Here's, here's what we could be doing. Um, and I think that helps people dream a little bit and, you know, head towards those aspirations. Well, it's a motivator too, in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. obviously knowing where the, the limitations are, but you want to, as a leader of an organization, you want to say, here's where we're going. Here's what we're building. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how, you know, it's the, how we're going right. to get there. That's where people start to question. So, yeah, but I, I do have to, I have to temper that sometimes because I get so excited and, you know, it's like, I, you can see over like a couple mountains that you have to climb when other people with like other demeanors just see the mountain that you have to climb. It's like, fuck, that's steep. Yeah. Are we going to make it? So, (laughs) (laughs) so that is a, yeah, obviously tempered a little bit, but that's honestly, that's again, one of the things that I will like, uh, I, I really am happy that I've had that coaching because it helps me like put it in context, try to put a little bit of shape around it before, I'm like, you know, just coming out with the confetti cannon. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much. This was, this was a really fun chat, you know, your insights and, and, um, you know, just to let people know where they can find you LinkedIn, correct? LinkedIn. Yeah. I should be easy to find Jason Clark, uh, Clarkster on Twitter. See Jason Clark um, on Instagram. If you want to see more. Uh, we've been doing a live stream DJ show every two weeks um, out of the oh. office uh, called Transmit. Um, so that's been kind of a side project of mine. So a lot of my Instagram, since we can't travel right now, has been, um, you know, shots of my friends DJing and, you know, up- upcoming stuff. So cool. So, yeah, trying to delete my Facebook. So don't send anybody there. All right. Well, and then via.studio is your via.studio. Excellent. Well, love that dot studio domain. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, thanks so much, Varun. It was a pleasure as usual. Yeah, good to see you all. Yeah, that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about the podcast. Thanks. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies.build.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.